0: Hi there! It is great to have you with us today and great for me today to get to bring to a conclusion our series in Philippians. We've been looking at this letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders, to a church in Philippi. And we have been asking how does Paul's own experience of lockdown, because at this point he is in prison, probably in Rome, how can that help us to think about how we live today and all that we are going through? And today, in the very last section of the letter, we find that Paul gives some really practical teaching. And it's teaching which I think is really relevant to us, even right now in our situation. Paul talks about generosity, but first actually he talks about contentment. And contentment, I think, can be hard to describe and to put into words. I wonder if I asked you to define or to describe contentment, how you would do that, what you would say. It's kind of about happiness, I guess, but it's more than happiness in a sense. Maybe we might say fulfillment or satisfaction. But it strikes me that sometimes I think it's easier to see feelings like contentment in someone else than it is to actually describe them or define them, to put them into words. And as it happens, luckily enough for us, the internet, it seems, is full of pictures of contented animals, and I thought they might be helpful to help us get a grasp a bit of what contentment is. We can start with some classics, some of our pets. Maybe we see contentment in the deep satisfaction of a cat enjoying a little stroke under his chin, no doubt accompanied by a contented little purr. Or maybe contentment is seeing in the peaceful abandon of a kitten having an afternoon nap. If dogs are more your thing, maybe contentment is seeing in the joy of a dog who sticks his head out of the window of the car and experiences the rush of the air passing by or maybe actually it's in the joy, the unadulterated joy of just being outside in the great outdoors. But actually it's not only our pets who can exhibit and help us to see contentment. Contentment, it seems, can also be found on the farmyard. Maybe we can best see contentment in this cute little goat with his little smile. He looks to me like the epitome of quiet contentment. Or maybe actually it's in the cheerful disposition of this furry little llama. Contentment is hard to put into words, but I guess it's about a quiet, deep-seated sense of satisfaction. And in this passage we're going to look at today, Paul says there is an amazing contentment on offer for anyone who's a follower of Jesus or who becomes a follower of Jesus. Paul is heading towards the close of the letter, and as he does so, he mentions again a financial gift that the Philippians have sent to him. Let's pick up what he says from verse 10 in chapter 4. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Paul starts by acknowledging this financial gift the Flippings had sent to them, noting they hadn't been able to for a little while. But even as he acknowledges that gift, he realises they might misunderstand what he means, or they might misunderstand something that could come behind what he's saying. And so he actually starts with a clarification. He's really eager to stress that although he's very grateful for their gift, he wasn't in a situation of stress and worry about his need before that point. He says in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need for, he's explaining why he wasn't in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So when Paul says he wasn't in need, he doesn't actually mean he didn't have a physical need, he did, we see that a bit later on. He's saying even though there was a need, it wasn't stressing him out, it wasn't worrying him, it it didn't cause him great distress. Actually, quite the opposite, he was experiencing contentment even while having that need. So Paul's key point here is that in relation to material possessions, to money and food and stuff, in relation to those things, in any and every circumstance, he's learned what it is to be content. That quiet, deep-seated satisfaction isn't dependent on what he has or what he doesn't has, actually it's rooted somewhere else. And I think that, and the, the possibility of that, is very relevant to us at the moment. Many of us might have worries about our finances, Maybe we've taken our cut on our hours at work, whether voluntarily or involuntarily. Maybe we've actually completely lost our job and we're really concerned about where our provision is going to come from. Maybe we have a business we own which is struggling, or or maybe it's just thinking about the whole wider economic situation and thinking actually, what is this, what is the impact is this all gonna have on us? Is this gonna be a, a really difficult economic time? Well, Paul's saying here, there's a contentment available that is there regardless of need in terms of material possessions. He can be content. He says, in hunger or in need. How can that be? When well, he gives us the answer in verse 13 I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And this is a really well known verse. This is the kind of verse you might have stuck in your fridge or on a mirror somewhere or something. But if we're really honest, it's a verse we often take out of context. We read this and we think, this means I can be a superhero. Jesus can help me to do anything through him, I can become a superhero. But that's not quite what it means. And the context we're looking at here it can't be quite what it means. And I'd like to point out there's a simple fact you can't fly with Jesus. Jesus doesn't make you a superhero. He's the superhero, not us. In context, do all things must mean be content in all situations. Because that's what he's talking about here. We could paraphrase it as I can face all situations. I can be content in every circumstance. And here particularly he's thinking of financial circumstances. And this is true, Paul tells us, through him who strengthens me. It's true through Jesus. Paul can know this contentment even in the face of need because true contentment, true satisfaction is only found in Jesus. And Jesus helps Paul to root his contentment in him and not in his material provisions. For all of us, our deepest desires and our deepest needs are met and can only be met in Jesus. It's not that we have contentment in riches while we're doing well, but actually we haven't got stuff, we can find contentment in Jesus. Actually, for any one of us, every time, the only place we can find true, lasting contentment and satisfaction is in Jesus. That's why following Jesus radically changes our relationship to material possessions, to money and to stuff. We live in, a, in a, consumer, a consumerist society where we're told time and time again by advertisers and shops and all sorts that having more stuff will make us happy. That true deep-seated satisfaction and fulfilment comes in having and gaining stuff, but actually that stuff will never do it. It's an alluring message, but it will never do it, because true fulfilment can only be found in Jesus. He is the one who can give us a true contentment. And notice also, Paul says he's learnt this contentment. He says that twice, this wasn't something that came automatically. It didn't just happen. Actually, he's had to be deliberate about it. There's a sense he's partnering with the Jesus. As Jesus strengthens him, he's partnering with him and being proactive himself about growing in this. And that raises for us the question of how can we learn contentment? How can we grow in it so we can experience something of what Paul was talking about? I think there are lots of things that we could say there, but there are three I think might really help us to put this into practice. One is thinking about perspective. As we put things in perspective, put material stuff in perspective, we remind ourselves of the place of money and possessions It helps us grow in contentment. We should remind ourselves that all the stuff we have now is only for now. We can't take it with us beyond the grave. We can't take it into the new creation Jesus has promised us. Jesus himself said that. He said, don't invest in, don't worry about and focus on earthly treasures. Things will rust, they'll decay, they'll be stolen by thieves, He says, focus on treasure in heaven, which is secure. Getting our perspective right is so important in this. But also growing in gratitude, being grateful to God, being thankful to what we have, because that reminds us everything we have has been provided by God. It reminds us how much we do have and how good God has been to us. He's already been so generous. I think this is why Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Every day, we should be reminding ourselves everything I have comes from God. And even for those of us who are blessed to have food in the cupboards or in the freezer, to know we we're all right for a little while, praying that prayer reminds us I only have this because God has provided. It reminds us what we've got, helps us grow in contentment. And finally, we grow in contentment by pursuing Jesus, by pursuing and deepening that relationship, the only relationship in which we can truly find contentment. We do that through spiritual disciplines, through Bible reading, through prayer, through silence and solitude, through taking a Sabbath, and also through participation in a local church, like we're doing together right now. These things, I think, can help us to grow in contentment. And all of this flows from a relationship with Jesus. This contentment is one of the many blessings, the good things Jesus offers to us if we will come and follow him. And that invitation to come and follow him is there for every single one of us. You might be looking on us today and not yet be a follower of Jesus. Today, Jesus makes the invitation to you to turn away from your old life and to follow him. And this contentment, even in the face of need, is just one of the many, many blessings that he would offer you. And so Paul first talks about contentment. And then when he talks about contentment, he turns back to the question of the gift that the Philippians have given. And he wants to talk to them about this gift and about their generosity. Let's pick up what he says from verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied." Having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul, as he goes back to thinking about this gift the Philippians have sent, notes that they've always been really generous to him even when others haven't been as generous son, he says they've been involved in giving and receiving. They have given materially to Paul as they have received spiritually from him as he has ministered to them and led them and helped them. And actually what they're doing there is exemplifying a really biblical principle, which is that those who minister to the spiritual needs of God's people should receive material provision from God's people. You see that in the Old Testament. The priests and the Levites, the people who served the, the other tribes of Israel before God, received from the other tribes through the sacrifices and through their tithes of their crops and different things. They received uh, gifts from them. You see the same in the New Testament, particularly in Paul's ministry, how the churches give towards what he is doing. And this isn't about some people being more special or deserving of something. It's a really practical thing about releasing people to have the freedom to do the work of leading God's people and ministering in that way. Paul says that generosity is really important for a Christian, that we should be giving towards what God is doing through local churches. And you might think that now is the worst time for us to be thinking about generosity and about giving, with all the economic difficulties, things in our own lives, things in the economy as a whole. But actually, Paul gives three reasons here, which I think show Christians should always be seeking to grow in generosity and should always be generous givers. Firstly, he points out giving does good. He says to the Philippians, he is eager for their gifts, not because he's eager to have stuff himself, but actually he says he seeks the fruit that increases to their credit. He's saying when they give, good things come from that giving, and that's what he seeks. That good thing might be kind of the fruit of his ministry, what comes from the way he serves the different churches. It might be the good in their own heart. Their heart gets shaped to be more and more like Jesus' heart as they become generous. Whichever one it is, both of them are true, giving does good. Also, he points out giving is an act of worship. He says this gift they have sent to him is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He's using their language from the Old Testament of these sacrifices and offerings the people would bring, which was an expression of their worship. It was a way they devoted their whole self to God, a way they brought praise and thanksgiving to God. And Paul shows us when we as Christians give financially to what God is doing through local churches, he is an act of our worship. We are worshipping God. We're expressing thanks. We're glorifying him, praising him as we do so. And finally, giving is there as a thing a Christian should always do and should be seeking to grow in because God gives to givers. We're able to give generously, radically even, because we know God will provide for our needs. Paul says, and my God Will supply every need of yours we can give generously even when it doesn't seem to make sense because we know that God is a generous giver to us we reflect on how good God has been and faithfully given to us gives us the freedom to give away not because we're seeking a return but actually because we know we can give because he'll always provide for our needs we don't need to worry when we give as a Christian to be a Christian is to have a, a generous heart to be giving to the ministry of apostles like Paul and of local churches, to be feeding into what God is wanting to do. And I think much like contentment, generosity is something we grow into, something we learn as we walk through Christian life. For most of us, being really generous in that way won't come as an automatic thing. And so we can ask the same question again of, well, how do we grow in generosity? And actually, I think the same three things that help us grow in contentment can help us to grow in generosity. We can start by thinking about our perspective, reminding ourselves, preaching to ourselves, telling ourselves that actually riches are not the place to find our contentment. We can never be truly content in stuff, and having money and things, and therefore we don't need to hold on to it. We can give it away. Also reminding ourselves that what we have comes from God, and so if he's given to us already, surely as we give faithfully in line with what he calls us to do, he will give again, he will provide for us. And that links to the second one again, to gratitude. We should be constantly thanking God for all of his revision to us. As we do so to build our faith, I can give because God gives to me. He will provide for my needs. And also as we reflect on how good God has been to us, and all he's done for us, all he's given to us, we want to give back to him. We want to make that sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. We want to worship him in that way. We become better givers when we become more thankful people who reflect on all that God has done all that God has given to us. And also I think we grow in generosity by pursuing Jesus. As we pursue Jesus, he shapes our hearts, we become more like him. And as we experience true contentment in Jesus, we can freely give away because we realise we don't need the other stuff to be content. We've got Jesus. Our, Our deepest needs, our deepest desires are met, are fulfilled in him. Therefore we can generously give from what he has given So as Paul here is closing this letter, he brings together two interrelated themes. Themes of contentment and of generosity. As Christians, we are to be generous people. We're to give out of what God has given to us. And particularly, Paul shows here, we're to support the ministry of the church, to partner with what God is doing, to release people to do that. And that itself is an act of worship. One of the many ways we respond to all that God has done for us. We need to cultivate generous hearts. But actually, really, we can only be generous people when we're content people. And when we've rooted our contentment we've found true fulfilment in Jesus. Realising our satisfaction isn't dependent on material circumstances, what we have, what we don't have. True satisfaction, true contentment is found in Jesus. And as we enjoy deeper and deeper contentment in him, we will find it more and more easy and natural to be able to give away from what he has given us. So I guess the place that I want to leave it today is just to ask you the question of how can you grow in generosity and in contentment? What is it that you can do even this week to do that? Maybe one of those three things of getting the right perspective, of growing in gratitude, of being really deliberate about pursuing Jesus is really relevant to you. Which one is it that this week you can put into practice? How is it you can grow in this? Let me just pray for us that God would help us as we seek to grow in these areas. Father God, we do say we want to be people who experience this kind of contentment in you and who from that place become cheerful and generous givers. We do ask, please help us to grow and to learn contentment. Please help us to root our contentment in you. Now our deepest desires, our deepest needs are met in you and not in anything else the world can offer us. And please increasingly give us a wonderful experience of that as we actively pursue you. And Lord, we pray as we know contentment in you, even in the midst of need and difficult circumstances sometimes, I pray we'll become generous givers. And that we will show you at this time that even though times are difficult, we can still be generous givers because we know you'll provide for us. And because we want to worship you. We want to thank you. We want to praise you for all you are, for all you've given to us, for all you've done for us. We do ask, please, Holy Spirit, come and help us to grow in this way. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.